church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of freedom. How powerful are the hands of those who bring justice and healing. How wonderful are the lips of those who speak mercy in Jesus. How beautiful are the hearts of those who've been touched by your love. Where would I be if I had not heard you calling out to me? Every man who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, shall be Hola, buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you. That was Call Upon the Name by Emmanuel Worship. You can find out more about them on my website at www.catholichack.com. Well, this week we are live in Brobridge, Louisiana. I'm here visiting a very close friend of mine, Travis Boudreaux. Travis is going to share with us his story today and talk about um, not only his coming back to the church, but how he uses those gifts and those aptitudes that God has graced him with for God's glory. And so I'm very excited about that, and I hope you will uh, also find that very useful. But before we begin today's show, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. All glory and praise to you, Almighty God, we come before you, seeking your holy presence upon us. We ask that you send forth your Spirit to inspire us in this conversation. We ask for the conversion of sinners. We ask for those who are who are dis, dis splintered in the faith that you will bring us all home to the Holy Catholic Church, uniting the body of believers here on earth in the church militant. We pray for this grace. We seek the intercession of saints, especially Our Lady, as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Well, as I said, today we have a very special guest. His name is Travis Boudreau. Travis is a, a software developer, and he he uses his gifts and talents and aptitudes for the glory of God in ways that we often don't consider, and I hope he shares part of that in his journey. But let's, without further ado, let's welcome Travis. Welcome to Behold the Man. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be here. Travis, now let's get started by first giving us some background about where you come from, about how your faith has developed in your own life and how you've grown closer to the Lord over the years. Okay. Well, uh, just some general info. I'm uh, 28 years old. Um, I'm a, a Cajun Catholic uh, from South Louisiana. <laughs> um, being uh, born and raised in South Louisiana, um, uh, being a Cajun, you know, it's it's very ingrained in our culture. Um and uh, the Cajun people are predominantly Catholic. Um, so I was born and raised, a uh, typical cradle Catholic story um, that's pretty too common around here. It's really sort of sad um, in that uh, I was born and raised Catholic, and it, it was more of a tradition for us uh, than living our faith actively. Um, I went to Mass with my mom and dad, uh, you know, every weekend. Um, uh, I was confirmed at the age of 14 in ninth grade, and uh, at that point, my, my parents had both started to drift away from the church a little bit, um, so not having, uh, you know, anyone to, to push me or to guide me in my faith, uh, I, you know, I just really started to walk away from the church at that point. Um, did you, would you say your peers, the, the, the other kids your age, did they, were they also headed on this path of sort of walking away so they get confirmed and then they go about their business yeah it was it was pretty common uh in in my high school that uh most of the kids i knew um got confirmed uh in ninth grade and then their mass attendance started to dwindle there was some that that stayed in the church um mainly because their parents continued to go to mass and uh, continued to guide them and lead them um but the majority of the kids that i knew could really follow the same story that I'm following at this point. Um, and so I really stayed uh, out of the church for about six years total. Um, and then I just out of the blue one day, I was, uh, I was in college, came home, and uh, my mom just starts talking about God one day. And it was, it was really a, a shock to me. It, was, uh, it, it really was. It was just like, like a, a, a switch had been flipped. I had never mm. saw or heard my mom ever mention God or Jesus. And my mom began to question, uh, you know, some of my activities, um, you know, being a, a college student, <laughs> just, just entering college, you know, I was getting caught up into the party scene and spending a lot of times in bars and, you know, doing some pretty unhealthy things uh, for my spirituality and, for, for my soul, you know, I was committing a lot of mortal sin. And, uh, you know, so my mom began to challenge me on this. And, uh, and so it led to a big rift between the two of us. She was, she was praying for me. She was fighting for me. Um, she had, uh, she had gone through her conversion and she had, she had seen that the mistakes she had made and she was, uh, she was not only going through this battle with me, she was going through with my dad too. Um, and she was, you know, really concerned for us and she didn't know what to do. And I remember, um, she now, you know, tells me after all three of us have been through our own conversions, she recounts the story to me often that, uh, she, at, at first, you know, she was really new to her faith again and she didn't know what to do. And 
this uh, sweet old lady who was a, a prayer warrior in her own right told my mom that uh, that the only option she had was to begin praying and fasting for my dad and myself. And so that's what she did. She began to pray every day, and she began to fast on bread and water three days a week for for myself and for my dad and for our conversions. And uh, it only it only took about six months before uh, my dad went through his own conversion experience. And and at that point, my mom and dad both began to pray and fast for me. And it was another three to six months after that that I ended up going through my own conversion experience. I think it's very telling, actually, and I'm glad you brought that up. Because I think a lot of times parents who have older kids think they, they have no more effect. They have no more influence on their children's lives, especially as it relates to their faith. I mean, I've heard countless stories of grandmas who are very concerned about their kids raising those their, their kids, you know, their grandkids. And, uh, and they're away from the church and they, they feel like there's no hope. There's nothing they can do. But clearly in this example, your mother was able to, even after you were an adult, even after you were well in your your ways uh, of partying in this life of, uh, of uh, going away from the church, she was able to still have an effect in your life by becoming an instrument in God's hands. I just think that was a very important point. I'm glad you brought that up. And also the other thing I wanted to emphasize was um, this aspect of suffering that your mother was able to do. Um, did she really share that with you? How did you come to know that she was fasting on bread and water? Well, she didn't really uh, speak about it to me while she was doing it. Um, at, really, at that time, we had a, a very, very rough relationship. It was, uh, you know, a lot of times whenever we were around each other, we would end up getting into heated arguments. Um, and so she, at that time, she never recounted any of that to me. It was only later when, I, when she knew that I could appreciate what she had done for me that she, that she tell me what was going on behind the scenes. Um, but I, I really think it, uh, it just really goes to show us that, you know, the church holds up, uh, St. Monica and St. Augustine as, as the perfect example of a mother, uh, praying for her son and, and being relentless and never giving up and, uh, just always, just always offering up their child to the will of God. Um, and that's, you know, really what my mom did. And I think we we can't be discouraged. The devil's always going to try to tell us that you know those were saints that we can never aspire to their greatness and we can never live up to to their stories. But that if we if we don't if we fall short, um, then it's it's in a part it's because we didn't try hard enough or we didn't we didn't trust enough in God and in in His saving power. To, to hold us up and carry us through these, these difficult times. Mm. Thank you. That's really important. So St. Monica, you know, is the one to go to, I think, if you're struggling with, you know, your own children and their lack of faith and their adults, well, pray for the intercession of St. Monica and never cease to offer up sacrifices. And I think that's a very important point. You know, uh, the fasting on bread and water was sacrificial, and God is pleased with that little tiny act of sacrifice, and it, it, he counts it all joy. And I think that's a very, very good thing for us to recount and remember. But Travis, you need to now show us, tell us, how, how did you come back? What was the turning point? What was that unique moment that led you back on the path to the church? Well, at the time, uh, my mom and I had a really rough relationship. Um, she had a, a friend, though. Uh, who she had met after her conversion, who was a very faithful woman, 
um, very joyful woman. And there was there was something about uh, about this woman that uh, she was just so inviting and so happy and so joyful. It's like you could you could see that the peace of Christ in her, and uh, and it was it was very attractive. It was like it was something I couldn't identify, but I knew I wanted. And uh, one day she invited me to go to a family conference um, that my mom and dad were going to with them. Um, and my mom had asked me numerous times, but we were always fighting at that point. And I just, I really never wanted to, to be, you know, drug in by my mom in, into that, what she was doing. And uh, so at one point, I guess my mom in her despair just said, well, why, why don't you invite him? Because he's not listening to anything I say. And so she invited me to this conference and uh, her children, she had a, a son and a daughter, uh, who were around my age were going and you know she invited me and said come and we'll all have fun you can spend time with uh, with Remy and Sarah and uh, we'll just have a good time and she was just so happy and I couldn't understand why you know to me if you were going to spend a weekend and talking about God that was like torture at that point to me you know it's like that was not what I wanted to hear it was one less weekend for me to go partying and being in the club um but but there was something uh, inviting about, you know, just how much joy and peace she had. And I said, well, let's give this a try. And uh, so the uh, the Saturday night at this conference, there was uh, Eucharistic Adoration. And uh, it was it was during uh, the Eucharistic Adoration session that night that uh, that my eyes began to be opened and. Uh, and it was like, I, I don't even think at the time I was fully aware that it was Christ present in the Eucharist. It was, it was something that I began to learn and began to find out more about our faith at the time. It was, it's very sad. It, it's, uh, that I was confirmed as a Catholic and, and I walked away from the church and, you know, six, seven years later, I'm in front of our Lord in the Eucharist and I didn't even know that it was him. Um, and I really feel like, uh, like, I don't know if, if it was my fault as a child for not paying attention during catechism or if it was something that was missing in the church, but that was really the first area that after my conversion, I began to, to feel called to, to serve the Lord was, was in youth ministry and trying to make sure that, that no child left their their catechism classes not knowing christ was present in the eucharist yeah um because that was really the turning point for me was being present before our lord in the eucharist um and just adoring him and worshiping him yeah i can i share that experience kind of uh in my own conversion as i've shared on the show before but i felt like i, I was going to leave the church there was a period of time where uh, when i had my conversion in april 2002 and i was hungry to know god and I was being led away from the Catholic Church because I just didn't know any better. I didn't know anything. I didn't want to leave until I knew exactly where to go because I knew that I didn't believe at the time that Jesus was present in the Eucharist, but I felt extreme reverence that I knew I wasn't going to get just anywhere else. And so that kept me at least in the pew until I knew where, where else to go. At the end of that journey, when I was completely uh, overwhelmed and and blown away by by how true the Catholic Church is, and it is the one true church Christ founded. And I was overwhelmed by um, Christ's words then in John 6, 
you know, about his flesh and blood. It's like I was standing in the church looking out and had to look over my shoulder and saying, there you are, Lord. You were here the whole time. Mm -hmm. And just feeling like this, like, oh, in one sense, it was like over joy. It was like just this massive amount of joy to say, God is present there in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Then there was a sense of remorse on my part for, and this whole time I've doubted you. This whole time I've, you know, squandered what you've given me and, and the opportunity to come and worship and adore you, you know. So I don't know if you can relate to that at all, but uh, I decided for a period of time I felt real remorse on my part. Yeah, one of the things that's, that I remember the most is uh, there was like this, uh, this light bulb moment for me um, not long after my conversion. Um, where I had uh, come into a ch into a church and uh, I had genuflected before going into the pew, and uh, it was it was really this light bulb moment because for so long in my life I had always genuflected before going into the pew, but I had done it out of habit, out of seeing everyone around me do it, and it was at this point where it was the first time I realized I was genuflecting before I go into the pew because I was genuflecting before Christ present in the Eucharist <laughs> in the tabernacle. And not just because that's something Catholics do as a calisthenics <laughs> movement before they go into the pew, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's there's something about when when uh, when your eyes are open to to Christ present in the Eucharist that yeah. just totally transforms you and uh, just opens your eyes to the beauty of the church. And so, where could that start your journey then? So, where do you go from there? Well, from that point, I was, you know, I was on fire with little direction, <laughs> and uh, so um, I began to, to dive into theology books, and I began going to Mass, and began going to daily Mass, and just had all of this energy, and all of this fire, and all of this zeal, and no direction to point it in, um, until one day I was in Mass, and this uh, new youth minister at the parish I was at uh, got up. Uh, before mass and made an announcement that he was looking for volunteers um and so it was at that point that uh i after mass i went and introduced myself to him and offered to help him in in uh, any way i could and so he invited me to their next meeting and i went by and i stopped and basically it just started out by just doing whatever you need me to go get this for you go walk next door and get some material out of the building and by the time I had finished, I was, uh, you know, one of the senior members on the core team giving talks, <laughs> helping lead retreats, uh, getting knee deep and gritty, just doing anything I could to to help uh, those teenagers, you know, experience what I experienced. Just did anything I could to try to not not to convert them on my own, not to do anything of myself, but to point them into the direction of Christ and say, this is Christ in the Eucharist. Yeah. Meet him the way I met him. And, we'll, you know, let that introduction do the rest. Yeah. What? How does this saying go? God doesn't call the prepared. He prepares the called. It's true. It's very true. I had, <laughs> I had nothing. I just had myself to offer. And, uh, <laughs> And, you know, that was enough. God God used that, uh, you know, however he saw fit, whether it meant, you know, me going fetch a hundred printed handouts to bring back to the kids or whether it, it meant, you know, sitting there and talking to a kid for an hour because their parents were divorced and they were struggling with not feeling loved because their dad wasn't home. And 
yeah. and that was affecting their relationship with with God. They didn't they didn't understand how God could love them if their dad wasn't home. You know, yeah. just anything, anything that was needed, just be there and be willing to to be there whenever you're called upon. Now, you, you would you say that here in in Louisiana, and we're in Brobridge, Louisiana, right now, outside Lafayette. Mm-hmm. Now, would you say that there's a lot of folks, a lot of kids who are struggling with their dads not being home here? I think a lot of these uh, dads work on oil fields, right? They are. I I had a. Uh... In fact, my dad was uh, in the oil field, and I, I know how they felt. My dad spent a lot of time offshore when I was younger. Um, in fact, it took my dad getting injured offshore to get him to working in town instead of going off on rigs uh, very often. But it's it's something that a lot of kids around here struggle with. Yeah. Um, you know, you have you have a higher percentage of, of fathers who work outside of the home who leave for an extended period of time because of their involvement in the oil field. And then you couple that with, you know, the common rate of divorce in in the area, which is typical of the rest of the country. And then you end up with a high percentage of kids who don't see their father a lot of the time and they struggle with that. Right. And as it, as it pertains to faith, I've seen numerous studies that show the kids go by way of the father. So if the father's not around, that's an automatic disadvantage yeah. for, for starters. And if the father doesn't practice their faith, the kids will go by way of the father most nine times out of ten. And so I think that's part of those, the challenge probably in this area but in, in a lot of areas. You know, when dad's not around or if dad is but dad's not spiritually around, if he's not leading the, the, kid, the family towards God but away from it, then the, the kids suffer traumatically. I know that's part of my own story, my fault with my father. Yeah, uh, but uh, it's a struggle. Yeah, and I don't think it's it's something that's necessarily unique to this area. Uh, the the oil field aspect and having a having a, a sector in the market that that involves men who work away from home for extended periods of time probably you know leads to maybe a little bit of a higher percentage of that occurring. But uh, I mean, there's. There's jobs like that all across this country. Right, you know? right. Uh, whether it's whether it's the person who works in the oil field or whether it's the the vice president of some corporation who's right. traveling uh, every every week, um, you know, it's it's pretty common. Yeah. Well, Joel Travis. So at that point, did it affect your life? I mean, obviously it it affect your life, but how so? I mean, were you immediately cutting off the vices that you had? created in your life where you did you stop going to the club did you stop drinking and partying all the time i mean how, how did that uh, um, part of your life start to come around yeah it did um um I, at that point uh after the conversion um i had pretty much given up on on the heavy partying and the heavy drinking but i'd have to say the the vice that that was rooted in me the deepest was uh an addiction to pornography um my dad um working in the oil field for a very long time. When uh, when he got injured, he became a, a safety man. Um, and so he was in charge of doing the training. And uh, one, of the, uh, one of the interesting things, this is uh, sort of a, a pretty pivotal point in my life, I think. Um, the company my dad for uh, had probably one of the first dial-up accounts in this area. <laughs> They, uh, they were, uh, they had a dial up internet account and they had given my dad access to it. Um, 
at home for him to use to research for uh, safety research. Um, and so we were probably, <laughs> I don't know, if, I would want to feel like we may have been the first people in St. Martin Parish to have the internet. <laughs> we may not have, but um, I was uh, I was in fifth grade at the time. I was 12. I loved computers. Um, and my dad knew that. Um, my dad bought our first computer when I was seven or eight years old, and I just I took to it. I, I clung to it. Um, I was taking it apart. I was crashing Windows three point one and rebuilding it. I was I was the the first you know computer geek in the family, um, and so when my dad got this new toy, the internet, of course he came home with it and he showed it to me and. And, uh, you know, it was there. It was hooked up to the computer for me to use at any time I wanted. So when my dad wasn't home and my mom wasn't home, I became a curious 12-year-old boy and started Googling things like, well, actually, it wasn't Google at the time. It was, uh, <laughs> there was web crawler and Lycos yeah, oh, yeah. and <laughs> some about very <laughs> old archaic search engines that most people don't remember. Um, yeah. But I remember some of the first things I started looking for were like pictures of Pamela Anderson and just searching for these these off topic random things related to sexuality. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's it's sort of a it's a blessing and a curse because it led to it led to my profession and it led you know, to what I do for a living. And it, it led to a way that I serve the Lord now. But at the same time, uh, it was an introduction into the world of pornography. And it was something at, uh, you know, at, at the, the strongest point of the addiction, it was something that I was, I was seeking and searching for and involved in for three and four, maybe five hours a day. Sometimes it was really, it was really rooted in there. And it was, it was the hardest vice to break. Um, it was, you know, when I was when I was doing youth ministry and I was I was helping serve in the church. It was something that was still there. It was something yeah. that I was fighting, and and uh, I remember there was this one moment where I had went to confession, and uh, I I was I was just really so disappointed in myself because I was trying to serve God and I was really, uh, you know, I was really just trying to seek his will. And at the same time, I just couldn't, I just couldn't break loose from this vice. And uh, I went to confession and I told the priest that how much I was struggling with it. And, um, I was, I was so ashamed of, of, you know, the, of my sin of, of yeah. being addicted to this, this horrible thing that I was behind the screen. And, uh, he, he asked me in a, in a very caring and a very loving way, Son, would you would you come and sit in front of me for a moment? And uh, I was scared to death. Mm. I was the last thing I wanted to do is I wanted to be seen by by this man, and for him to know who I was and and to be able to see me and just see my shame. And uh, he, uh, he so I went reluctantly. I went, and uh, he says, uh, he says, look at me. He says, and I, you know, I had my head down and he says, no, look at me. And so I looked up into him and I looked at him eye to eye and he said, don't be afraid. You, you can beat this. You don't have to be a slave to it. Mm. 
and uh and it was it was one of the biggest turning points um it it was not at that point an immediate uh break of the vice but it was the first point at which i had hope mm. and that i thought that this was possible and i would say it was another 3 to 6 months where i struggled and i struggled um but i fought and I would go to confession, and then I would stay away from pornography for a few days, and I would fall back into it, and I would go to confession, and then I would stay away a week, and then I would go back to confession, and I'd stay away from it for two weeks. Mm. And then there was finally this, this breaking point where I said, I've had enough of this. I am not going back to this. And I went to confession, and uh, at, that, at, at that point, I went to confession, and uh, it's been seven years now. Praise God. So that is awesome. I love that story. You know, especially because shame is what holds men into the slavery of pornography. Their shame uh, prevents them from coming free. And that priest, in his wisdom, helped to break through your shame, mm -hmm. to get a glimmer of light into your into your heart and hope that there is freedom from that. And Jesus Christ came to set us free from that slavery, and that we might not be slaves or addicted to our sin. Well. We have to wrap it up. Travis, thank you so much for being on today's show. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for today's Behold the Man. Thank you so much for joining us. Stop by the website at www.catholichack.com for more information about Travis Boudreaux, my good friend, the web developer, using his talents and skills and aptitude for God's glory. Until next time, I'm praying for you, so I ask that you pray for me. Do me a favor and leave a review on iTunes. That's one of the best ways to support this show. Until next week, may God bless you. From the Catholic Underground. <laughs>